We're going to read now uh, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, another Psalm of David, and of course we'll see very clearly the connection between these two Psalms. Uh, Page 560 in the Church Bible or 867 in the large print. David Amaskil. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. God bless you. Lord, will you bless my friend Charlie? Lord, bless me today. Lord, will you bless the work of caring for life? We often use the word bless, don't we, or blessing. And like all words or phrases that we use a lot, it's easy to use them and not really think about them, isn't it? Or to forget just exactly what we mean. What are we actually praying for when we ask God to bless someone or something? Well, maybe we associate being blessed with something that has brought us great happiness. Maybe blessed in a relationship or success at work or sport or just a happy day. Maybe when we ask God to bless someone, we're thinking about their physical needs. And of course, that is in no way a wrong kind of prayer. But the Bible doesn't really highlight that kind of blessing as primary. Indeed, blessing is often associated with experiences that we might feel are outwardly negative. Remember some of the blesseds that the Lord Jesus spoke of in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for example. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now here, come, here the blessing comes in considering the outcome of these negative experiences, what God will eventually bring about. One writer has spoken about blessing uh, in this way. What is blessing then? Scripture shows us that blessing is anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in him. 
anything that draws us closer to Jesus, anything that helps us relinquish the temporal and hold on more tightly to the eternal. And often it is the struggles and the trials, the aching disappointments and the unfulfilled longings that best enable us to do that. So the things we consider blessings and the way we consider we are blessed can be different from the great uh, or the greater eternal blessings God wants us to know. And in Psalm 32, as we just read, David speaks of a blessing that is really more vital than most others or any others, the greatest blessing. We're going to think about this psalm uh, or just four aspects of this uh, great psalm of David and four aspects of this greatest blessing. And firstly, in verses 1 and 2, David begins by speaking of the blessing of sins forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one in whose sin the Lord does not, whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. David speaks of the blessing of blessings, the chief of all blessings. And we're told that the word blessing here is in the plural. And uh, I love a little phrase that um, I came across of, um, of Charles Spurgeon. And uh, I hope I can say this right because it's a bit of a tongue twister. Oh, the blessednesses. Oh, the blessednesses. The double joys. The bundles of happiness. The mountains of delight. A bungle of blessings. A host of blessings tied up in this Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. Notice how David speaks of four aspects of this blessing. Transgressions are forgiven. Transgressions really means wrongdoing, breaking God's law. God forgives those. Sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Sinner has the idea of uh, missing the mark. You've got a goal, a target that you're aiming for, and you hopelessly miss it. We never live up to even our own aspirations, let alone what God requires of us. We miss the mark. And then he says, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. In the NIV, we have sin here. In several other translations, the word there is iniquity. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there's no deceit. Iniquity really means something is crooked, twisted. It's not straight, it's perverse. And it describes the nature of a person that leads to sinful acts, rather than the acts themselves. The nature is crooked and perverse. And here David says, blessed is the man whose iniquity, whose crookedness, is not counted against him. And then fourthly, and in whose spirit is no, defeat, no deceit. A deceitful spirit, refusing to acknowledge sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, says John. And uh, David says, blessed is the one whose deceit has been removed by the Lord. Now there's little doubt that David wrote this psalm as a testimony of his experience of forgiveness after confessing his adultery and murder, as we read in Psalm 51. We're not specifically told that, so we can't be dogmatic about it, but 
uh, it fits very well with everything um, David says in Psalm 51. And we see how his sin on that occasion included these four aspects. He had transgressed, he'd willfully broken God's law in adultery and murder. He had sinned, he'd missed the mark of what he should have done. Here was David, the great king, the man whom God had said was the man after his own heart, how he had missed the mark of what he should have done and done the opposite instead. His character, his nature had become twisted and perverse, a heart no longer filled with worship, but full of iniquity and far away from God. And both during and after this sinful action, he was deceiving himself, sinning more by trying to cover up, refusing to listen to the voice of conscience. But now, what does he say? Blessed is the one whose transgression was forgiven. God himself has lifted his load of guilt, the barrier of separation, and welcomed him back. His debt is cancelled. His sin was covered, not covered up, but covered over, never to be seen again. That reminded me of an old chorus, and I was in two minds whether to quote it. I'm always quoting old songs. I do beg your pardon, but I couldn't resist it. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Now my soul is free and in my heart's a song. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God, my sins are gone. Blessed is the man whose sins are covered. David's iniquity was not counted against him. One writer has said, David spoke of real forgiveness by the declaration of God. Not just the quieting of a noisy conscience or an imagined peace with God. This was a standing with God declared and given, not earned. In other words, this was something God had declared of David. It wasn't earned by him by his confession. The Lord does not count iniquity against David or against anyone who will come in confession and repentance. Iniquity not counted means it's no longer on the charge sheet. God doesn't do probation. He doesn't say, I'll forgive you, but I'm watching you. Go wrong again and you'll pay. The Bible speaks about the day of judgment, but on that day, the person who has been forgiven will find that there is no record against him. The Lord Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And here was David now, so long hiding his sin, but now his spirit was free from deceit, no longer trying to hide his sin from himself or from God. In Psalm 51, David had, said, had prayed, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgress transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. God had answered David's prayer for re restoration. And Psalm 32 is a result of his promise to teach others from his own experience. In the first two verses, he's speaking generally about all who are forgiven. But in the next verses, he's going to share his very own, pain, his, his own very painful experience. And so we see in verses 3 to 5, God, the blessing of God's heavy hand. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David kept silent. Not merely I was silent, but I kept silent. There was a stubbornness in his silence. In the full knowledge of what he had done, David turned away from the challenge of conscience. He kept silence in refusing to acknowledge his sin to himself and to God. He kept silence despite all the memories of past blessing and fellowship with God, which he no longer enjoyed. He kept silent despite the fact that it was destroying him. Well, David's experience doesn't come over to us as much of a blessing, does it? His bones were wasting away, he says. He was groaning all day long. He was in agony day and night. His strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David is suffering physical, mental, and spiritual distress. And he rightly identifies the source of it. It was God's heavy hand. But the blessing lies in the fact that God refused to let David continue in his sinful rebellion. One writer says, David's dryness and misery was actually a good thing. It demonstrated that he was in fact a son of God and that the covenant God would not allow him to remain comfortable in habitual or unconfessed sin. One who feels no misery or dryness in such a state has far greater concerns for time and eternity. Can you say that it would have been far worse for, da for God to leave David alone with unforgiven sin? It would have meant the end of his relationship with God, the loss of his salvation, and he would have ended up no better than the king that preceded him, King Saul. One of the most frightening phrases in the Bible, I think, is God gave them up or God gave them over. It occurs in Romans 1 where God is talking about those who do not want to retain a knowledge of God and do not want to serve God. And Paul says three times, God gave them over. God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Furthermore, since they did not think it was worth, worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. The writer C.S. Lewis uh, wrote this, The lost enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. It is a terrible thing to get to the point where God abandons you and gives you up. So David is in agony, but his agony is part of God's blessing. God has not given up on David. This agony is a preparing of the path for his repentance. And so in verse 5 we read, Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and did not cover up my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. 
David comes to his senses, or rather, he is brought to his senses by God, as God sends the prophet Nathan to confront him. You can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 12 in the Old Testament. But uh, if you're not familiar with that, what happens is David is in denial of his sin, his adultery and his, his um, murder of Bathsheba's husband, and he's in denial for the best part of a year. And God sends the prophet Nathan uh, to David, and Nathan tells David a story about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has a large flock of sheep. The poor man just has a little lamb, a pet. A traveler visits the rich man, and rather take than take a sheep from his extensive flock, he takes the poor man's one lamb to kill and eat and give to the traveler. David, on hearing this story, is full of indignation and says, the man who did this must die. And then Nathan gives the punchline, you are the man, David, you are the man. This is what you did to Bathsheba, to her husband. It seems that even with the agony of God's heavy hand upon him, David remained in stubborn denial but he's worn down and he's worn out. He's ready to be rescued. Nathan's confrontation is the trigger God uses to bring David to repentance. You see, David's confession of sin did not earn forgiveness of his sins, but he did receive it when God brought him to repentance. And it was an immediate pardon, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And we're reminded of the parable of the prodigal son, that while the son was still a long way off, the father just runs to receive him. And uh, this was what happened to David. As he confesses his sin, see what my Lord has done. Oh, the love that made him run to greet his erring son. David is uh, brought to the place where he can once again delight in his God and delight in the blessing of a restored relationship. Verse 6, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Imagine that you realize that you've hurt two people in some way, in something you've said or done, or maybe not said or done. You realize what you've done and you want to make things right. You go to the first person, you admit you're wrong, and you ask them to forgive you. They say, okay, or, oh, it doesn't matter, and you think that all, all is right now. But as time goes on, you notice, well, they don't really speak to you very much. They don't avoid you as such, but they just don't take the trouble to communicate with you. There's a coolness. You're left with a kind of feeling, this, do they still hold something against me? You go to the second person, you admit you're wrong, and you ask them to forgive you. They say, oh, I'm so glad you've spoken. 
I've been so sad that we fell out. Of course I'll forgive you. They give you a hug. They invite you around for a cup of coffee. They include you in their conversations. They look for ways to help you. You are blessed. The relationship is restored. Forgiveness, you see, is not just about removing guilt. It's all about restoring relationship. And that's what David discovered as he experienced God's forgiveness. Fellowship with God and communication with God was restored. And therefore he is able to say, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. In his sin he kept silent. He wasn't praying. But now he wants to pour out his heart to know and find God in his praying. Trust is restored. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. In his sin and his rebellion, David could have had have no confidence in God's protection and no real fellowship with God's people. Now forgiven, he can joyfully declare his trust in God's protection. He can join in fellowship with others in singing songs of deliverance to his God out of a heart that is free of sin and deceit. Loving guidance is restored. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. David rejoices, not only in the blessing of sins forgiven, as if God says, okay, I'll forgive you, and that's all there is to it. No, David rejoices in the restoration of a loving, wonderful relationship with his Lord and his Savior. Well, why did David write this psalm? He wants us to learn from his experience of forgiveness. He wants to share the blessing with us, the blessing shared. Verse 9, do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Back in Psalm 51, David prayed to be forgiven and restored. And he said, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. He vows to share with others the blessings he has received. And Psalm 32 is part of his carrying out of that promise. And he's got two things to say to us, two ways he wants us to learn from his experience. The first is a negative. David says, don't be like me. For goodness sake, don't be like me. Or rather, don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. He's going back to what he said already in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silent, when I kept silent, I was in agony. I was in denial. I was like a stubborn mule rebelling and refusing to come back to repentance. And if it were not for God's amazing loving grace in dragging me back to him, I would be utterly lost. David says, don't be like me. Don't do that. He was under that great conviction day and night, denying his guilt, despite being in awful torment. 
And Nathan was God's bitten bridle to pull David back to him. But it was, and it is, a very dangerous way to live. Will God always send the bit and bridle to drag us back to him? If we truly belong to the Lord Jesus, if we have come to him and trusted in him, we know he will never let us go. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But if we are resisting him, if we are putting off coming to him, we are in a perilous position. Who knows when the day will come where it has to be said of us, God gave them up. In another psalm, Psalm 95, we read, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And Isaiah says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Many are the woes of the wicked, says David, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. And here we have set before us a choice, the woes of the wicked or the unfailing love to the one who trusts in him. Where would you rather be? One writer has said, conscience unheeded will eventually become conscience unheard. But secondly, positively, David says, do be like me. Rejoice in the Lord be glad and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Join me, be like me, in rejoicing in the Lord. Now it's clear from the whole psalm that the blessed are not people who never sin. But in this last verse, David calls them righteous and upright in heart. John Piper says about this verse, we could easily make the mistake of thinking that when the Old Testament speaks of the upright or the righteous, it cannot mean us because we are still sinners. But the righteous and the upright are not perfect. They are persons who confess their sin, hate it, and trust God for forgiveness and help. It is a precious thing beyond all words, especially in the hour of death, that we have a God whose nature is such that what pleases him is not our work for him, but our need of him. Is that not a cause for rejoicing, for being glad and for singing? David says, do be like me. Be like me in repentance. Be like me in trust. Be like me in rejoicing in worship to the Lord who has done great things for us. Living in the New Testament age, we see more clearly how God can forgive us and declare us righteous. Forgiveness is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. Our transgressions can be forgiven because God presented Christ as, an, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Our sin can be covered. No one can accuse us. Because the Lord has promised you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Our sins are gone. Our iniquity is not counted against us, but it was counted against the Lord Jesus, because it was counted against the Lord Jesus. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. Forgiveness may be the greatest blessing in the sense that it is the primary blessing we experience when we first trust in Christ. But it is part of and inseparably linked with a host of other blessings. The blessednesses, if I can dare say that word again. What Paul in Ephesians calls every spiritual blessing in Christ. We read that verse out at the start of the service. So just as we finish now, maybe it would be good for us to meditate upon that passage that uh, Paul writes in Ephesians. And uh, just think about these many blessednesses uh, as we uh, close our time tonight. And then we can take all of that into our worship as we sing our closing song. So I'd just like to read slowly those verses from uh, Ephesians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's an awful lot of blessednesses to praise God for. And let's do that as we sing our final hymn, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean. <laughs>